disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. All right, guys, fun one here today. We're going to have Congressman Massey back on the program. Uh, we're doing a little radio combo with this, so you'll hear me uh, repeating his name several times. You have to do that when you're on the radio because people tune in and tune out. So just giving you a little behind the stage, behind the curtain aspect of what's taking place here. Uh, but this is a wide-ranging conversation from infrastructure to the Second Amendment. And I think you're going to want to hear some of the news nuggets that Congressman Massey puts in here. So without any further ado, let's just jump right into it. First, though, I want to thank our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops, LouisvilleCabinetsandCountertops.com. Get on the horn with them at 502-930-3304 and talk to them about your dream kitchen. They did our kitchen and our master bath. I'm pretty confident it's the reason our house sold in less than a day when we sold our house in Kentucky. And if I still lived in Kentucky, I would 100% use these guys again. Not only that, but I've come to be friends with Tim Montgomery, the owner, because I believe in his work ethic and his character. And you can go to their website at Louisville Cabinets and Countertops and see the things on the Google reviews that the people say about this organization. And they match what my experience was with them. So if you're going to do your dream kitchen, you might as well do it with somebody who's going to do it right. If you're a do-it-yourselfer or a contractor, you can uh, actually go ahead and select cabinets that they have in stock that are highly affordable and uh, ready to go. So check them out. They're 6200 Hit Lane, right on the border of Oldham County and Louisville. So if you're in southern Indiana, Oldham, or Louisville, this is your place. Or give them a call at 502-930-3304. All right, let's dive into it. Our conversation with Congressman Thomas Massey. Roll my tape. <laughs> you're, you're voting on infrastructure this morning? You just did, or you're about to? Oh, we're about to. There were um, hundreds of amendments to this bill, but... Uh, you know, everything's infrastructure now. Yeah. Um, but are the amendments to the bill associated with infrastructure? I uh, actually, well, you know, what do you call infrastructure? This should be, let me tell you what it should be, which is what it's not. It should just be a straight up reauthorization of the highway trust fund. It should be revenue neutral. It should be whatever money we bring in is the money we send out. Right. Um, it shouldn't be for beautification. It shouldn't be for museums. It shouldn't be billions of dollars for electric buses and a, and publicly funded charging stations. This is the one that kills me. Can you imagine publicly funded gas stations? Right. Well, the, yeah, in Afghanistan. <laughs> oh, that's right. The natural gas station <laughs> that we built there because <laughs> so many <laughs> people have natural gas fueled vehicles in Afghanistan. Right. Uh I can't remember if that was Afghanistan or Iraq, but I think it was Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, we've wasted so much money in both of those countries. Uh, almost a billion dollars on the embassy in Iraq. But Jeez. back to infrastructure, which I guess they would call infrastructure too, but back to the infrastructure bill. They're, the one that's passing in the House is dead on arrival. There'll be one uh, come out of the Senate that's more bipartisan. Right. They may do something. There's going to be how many trillions of my dollars? Too many to count. I didn't. I didn't know you had trillions, but I just—if you could loan me a few millions of your dollars, <laughs> that would be very nice. 
Well, welcome back uh, to the old podcast, and uh, today a little bit of radio as well. Um, want to uh, let's dive right into it, man, because there is a lot going on. I know you're between votes there mm-hmm. in DC, um, so we'll start with this. First of all, good to have you back on, sir. Welcome. Great to be back on your show, Leland. Beacon um, of truth. Yeah, right. I mean, not so much hope, but always a beacon of truth. Well, we're trying. <laughs> we're doing what we can. Um, are you saying I'm a bit morose sometimes? Are you saying that maybe sometimes I'm a bit uh, not as hopeful as I should be? <laughs> I'm saying you don't put any veneer on it. <laughs> <laughs> this is a true thing. True thing. Um, well, let's dive right into it. Uh, I think the first thing I want to talk about is some comments that the president made last week. And we'll talk about the infrastructure bill, too. But the the comments that he made about AR-15s, and it was somewhat intelligible uh it was rhetorical <laughs> gibberish the problem was there was state power behind it in the sense that he's moving in this direction of doing everything he can to limit the second amendment rights of law-abiding citizens and he kind of went on this thing and uh, i you know i've played the audio already but essentially he said hey he said he had the biggest contradiction in terms first of all we don't need weapons of war speaking of ar-15s you know Mm-hmm. Um, but then he goes on to say they're not really weapons of war anyway. You need a nuclear weapon or or an F-15, which, by the way, if I could buy an F-15, I would. Thank you very much. I should be allowed to. But was that not the greatest case for not only the Second Amendment, but also owning AR-15s that could possibly have been made for the, for the president to essentially say, hey, if we want to go to war with you, we'll kick your butt because we'll go to nuclear war with you, your own people. That was just stupid in its essence. But... To basically say these are not weapons of war, but they are weapons of war, but they're not weapons of war. It, 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 it didn't make any sense, but it did, right? Like it was. I think, I think his handlers told him to get up there and talk about the nuclear option, and they meant Mm-mm. getting rid of the 60-vote rule in the Senate. <laughs> and he thought they meant the actual nuclear conflagration with the citizens of this country. <laughs> he forgot. In Washington, D.C., the nuclear option typically means ending the filibuster rule. Right. And uh, I think he confused AR-15 with F-15. (laughs) Is that what it was? That's what it was. They said, get up there and talk about the nuclear option and AR-15s. And he got up there and talked about nuking people and (laughs) F-15s. Right. And they're just like, oh no! But honestly, though, it was a pretty good case for the for the AR-15 because essentially you have a president of the United States saying, um, you know, it 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 was almost like a threat. It was a veiled threat to Second Amendment supporters. I think it was a threat. Um, I think it's despicable. I went to the floor of the House of Representatives and spoke out against it because uh, can you imagine, Leland? If the dictator in Iran or the one in North Korea had, in a press conference, talked about nuking his own people, right? there would be sanctions, international sanctions. There would be an outcry, right. and people would be calling for the arrest or resignation of that leader of that country. And the, and the people in those countries don't even have the Second Amendment, but... In this country, we just the press just laughs it off and moves on. Yeah. Well, but in essence, he was basically saying, look, the government is already so powerful, you can't beat us. 
That's the well, threat. That, that's the threat. The threat is that he's basically <laughs> saying, "I we already have the tools so powerful. You've already let us get all these tools. And I'm like, hey, any tool the government has, it's eventually going to use on its own people anyway because that's the tendency of government. I do not like talking about how this will go down in a podcast, right? This is something I might talk about after a few beers in my living room with some <laughs> friends. Um but it but just look at Afghanistan or Vietnam or or anywhere where we've you know taken F15s mm-hmm. with the threat of nuclear weapons and been held at bay with um small arms right so you know and, and in the case of ISIS that's Toyotas right right <laughs> uh so, you know, practically speaking, he's not right. He's not but, right, right. He doesn't understand what goes into what he's actually talking about. Right. Yeah. Tactically, he's wrong. But, you know, this is the first time I've really heard somebody from the left acknowledge what the Second Amendment is about. Like, yeah. Let's give him credit for that. Right. The Second Amendment is about keeping that government in check. It is not about duck hunting, folks. Right. Well, he didn't acknowledge that, but he brought about recognition of that yes. by saying, look, the government's so big, you can't beat us anyway, which is where hopefully some people did like the meerkat thing there and went, what? I mean, if you didn't, then you don't really have an idea of how the re- relationship between people and its government are supposed to be. We're talking with Congressman Thomas Massey. Um, beyond that, though, th- there was so much to unpack in that statement we can also talk about the incoherence of it. And you mentioned his people told him this. I, I firmly believe that there's nothing between his ears. He, he's essentially a Potemkin president. He's a paper cutout. And he's got handlers that are hard leftists that are behind him that are saying, go out there and talk about this. And then he just gets out there and rambles. I mean, the whispering thing that he's been doing lately is really creepy. You know, have you have you seen this? Where, like, he's doing it. a press conference? Yeah, no. You know, it's like, what What are you doing? <laughs> guys? In, the guy's off his rocker. Sorry. Creepy, creepy Joe. Yeah. The, cre- the creepiness used to be limited to the sniffing of the hair. Right. And the and the grabbing of the shoulders. Yeah. And the, and the uh, pulling, you know, getting close, uncomfortably close to people who didn't want to be close to him. Right. That was, that is what the creepiness used to be, but it has evolved to the whispering and to the spirit and to the references to people who will get mad at him if he says what he's going to yeah. say. And I've got my list they've given me that I have to call on at the press conference. I mean, this, these are the kinds of things that they were making up about Trump. Can you imagine what the media would be doing if President Trump was doing these things? You know, it, it would be absolutely insane. Um, the, scary, the other scary part, and let's just talk about this, is the trajectory. Right. You know, if he had, if this has been, had been the way Joe Biden had been behaving for the last ten years, um, that'd be one thing, and he's like plateaued at some nominally creepy level, but he's actually getting creepier, and and he seems to have less faculties about him. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and it's happening at a faster pace, which makes one wonder: Does he is by the end of four years? Will will he still be competent? Uh, not that he is now, but how much less competent will he be? Yeah. Who do you think's pulling the strings back there? I don't know. Huh. 
You ever talk to him? I know you talked to President Trump several times. I, sometimes, I, sometimes President Trump called you because he was mad at you. <laughs> I've only had one interaction with Joe Biden uh, personally, and that was at a White House Christmas party. Did he sniff your hair? Um, he was. I mean, I don't want to make national news with this, and probably will. Uh, he was inappropriate toward my daughter. Really? Mm-hmm. And this was before all those YouTubes came out. He started joke. He he started joking to her about no. Remember, no men until you're 35. Uh, and how old is your daughter? At the time, she was 16. Mm. Uh, and he grabbed her hand and uh, pulled her close to him. She's trying to extract her hand from his. <laughs> wow! And it was just a weird situation. Yeah. And. I would not say anything about it. It's, you know, we're not, you do not have a right to, uh, to never be offended. Okay? Right. Right. <laughs> but you would hope that the vice president of the United States, which was his title at the time, wouldn't be so offensive. Right. But you, you don't have a right not to be offended. Yeah. Uh, I would love to see liberals like right now weigh in on what I'm saying. Right. Like they're saying, wait, the president, the vice president, like harassed his daughter, and he's saying that was okay. <laughs> well, yeah. okay, if you're on the left, you tell me what's right. Right. Uh, but that's like that's the one experience I had with him. That's interesting. Um, all right, let's talk about the infrastructure bill. Um, a lot of waste of American taxpayer dollars. Uh, I, I, do we need this? I mean, we need infrastructure, but whenever, here's the thing: whenever Congress says, hey, we're going um, to do a bill about X. To me, it almost never is about X. It's titled being about X, but it's never about X. So if what we need is X, the bill to do X never does X. Does that make sense? Right. Or, or never only does X. Right. Because infrastructure, they probably are calling everything infrastructure because they've pulled the word infrastructure. And it works, yeah. And it works. Yeah. So they're they're saying, well, let's call it infrastructure because people generally support infrastructure. Have and you, I, have, by the way, I'm on the infrastructure committee. I'm on, this is what adds injury to insult or, in, or vice versa. Right. I serve on this committee because uh, – I believe, like Adam Smith said, there's three roles of government, institute a system of justice, you know, for the people, provide for the national defense, and and facilitate infrastructure and public infrastructure. And, you know, our founding fathers are, were well-read, and uh, a lot of them incorporated Adam Smith's ideas into their view of the government that they established for us. And so I am for infrastructure, but that what they are calling infrastructure goes well beyond the role of the government and especially well beyond the role of the federal government. Right. Um, you're on the infrastructure bill. You're voting on it today. Have you had a chance to uh, actually review it? it? Will you? Is it? Is it another one of those behemoth bills you won't be able to find everything in it before you have to vote on it? Is there something in there taxpayers are going to be egregiously upset about? Um, well, they won't be upset about it because it will never pass. <laughs> Even the bipartisan version? <laughs> well, the one in the Senate, I haven't had time to dissect completely. 
it probably spends maybe twice as much money as we should spend, and the House bill spends maybe four times as much money right. as we should spend. Uh, I spent 17 hours in the committee marking up this bill, and so we have, uh, you know, we've had time to go through it. It's been out there for a couple weeks, and so people can can see it and know what's in it, unlike most bills. Now, here on the House, we've been, I think they allowed 173 amendments or 100 over 100 amendments to be voted on in the last couple of days. I'm not against that. I think we should have as many, you know, let's have a good legislative process. Let's have a lot of amendments voted on. Right. A lot of them have been voted on. A lot of them went down. Some of them passed. That's okay. That's part of the legislative process. But as, you know, Ron Paul, they used to ask Ron Paul, did you really, do you really read every one of these bills? I mean, for goodness sakes, Congressman Paul, they're a thousand pages long. And he would say, well, I get in about two pages, maybe three pages, and I find something unconstitutional, and I don't have to read any further. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the rule, right? right. Is it constitutional? Right. Is it necessary? What's your third rule when you vote? Oh, is it constitutional? Can we afford it? Right, can we afford it? And then is it? And then the third test is, is this a role for federal government or is it actually the state or local government or family's role? Right. Like there may be things that are constitutional, but frankly, they'd be better done at the state level. Right. And there may, you know, there are a lot of things that pass two of those three tests that I have. But frankly, most things fail all three. Yeah. And this and this transportation bill fails all three. We're uh, talking with Congressman Thomas Massey. Um Along those lines of the uh, transportation bill, uh, well, not the transportation bill. I was trying to, I was wanting to kind of throw in the idea of infrastructure, your Prime Act, which yes, we, beef we, processing is meat processing is infrastructure, Leland. Well, I should have put that in the transportation. That would be a bill. great amendment. I mean, because just so people understand, we've gone through in the last year two potential meat shortages. One was with COVID because the supply lines were disrupted by. The fact that we only have four major meat processors and when all four of them essentially were having too much COVID, we were in trouble. And then this last one, when, um, you know, uh, what tripped it up last time? Was it uh, JBS? Yeah, JBS was hacked. The Brazilian owned meat processor. By the way, it's an oligopoly. Four companies, as you will point out. One of them's owned by China. One of them's owned by Brazil. Uh, during COVID, they all had shutdowns, to my knowledge. Some of them entire plants and entire groups of plants, which really caused a problem, not just increase in prices, but food shortages. Right. right. I mean, it looked like Soviet Russia. Right. You know, when they were rationing brisket in, <laughs> in the United States. I don't know. In Soviet Russia, they never could get brisket. <laughs> I don't know I what get they your were point. eating. <laughs> Maybe if they had been rationing potatoes mm, and vodka. Yeah. But, you know, in the United States, we shouldn't, beef should be in abundance, Right. We had 40 to 60 million buffalo in this country before they were eradicated, mostly by government programs, by the way. Right. Um, so beef should be abundant here. And uh, so there was a shortage. And so what the recent shortage or uh, kink in the supply line was caused by a hack. By the way, these mom and pop butcher shops. Have you ever heard of a butcher shop? You've never gone to one that has a sign on the door that says, sorry, sorry. 
We were hacked. Take your animal back to your farm. <laughs> they're they're busy hacking up those <laughs> pigs and cows back there. They're not right. getting hacked by hackers. Hacking has a different meaning. Yeah, f- for the butcher, but they no no small processors ever been shut down by a hack. Right. But yet that happened. And if you're in an oligopoly and you and the supply is temporarily limited uh, because of any reason, well, the price goes up and you you may make just as much profit processing fewer animals. Yeah. Well, is so, it part of the problem with infrastructure to like when we talk about? Well, yeah. OK, but go back. Go back. We didn't talk it. about what my primac does, which. We yeah, need to let's mention. do that real quick. Yeah, it, it right sizes the regulations. So it reduces regulations on small producers. And before you say, oh, by the way, small meat processors, so that farmers can use a local processor and sell to local consumers. Right. And Which doesn't mean those are not being inspected by the USDA and that the meat is unsafe somehow. Right. They're still subject to surprise inspections, these local processors. And they're still inspected by their local health department, just like your restaurant is. Right. Would you insist... That your local restaurant have a federal USDA inspector in the kitchen or that your local supermarket, when they're cutting up beef, has a local has a federal USDA inspector behind the counter back there in the back. No, we don't do that. So it's ridiculous, you know, that if you're a small processor that you're required to do that, especially when the consumer can know the farmer that brought the animal there. And can oftentimes get a tour of the facility. Yeah. Uh, can you imagine? They will not let you anywhere near one of these big facilities. They don't want you to see what happens back there. Yeah. So anyways, this would reduce regulations. and picked up a lot of steam. We're picking up a two or three co-sponsors a week on the Prime Act. Uh, you know you have arrived in the swamp with a good piece of legislation when they introduce a piece of legislation designed to undermine support for your legislation, which is what has just happened this week. They introduced something called the Butcher Block Act. Oh, boy. Yes. And instead of reducing regulations, this one has grants and loans. And so uh, instead of taking our foot off the brake, they say we're going to press on the gas pedal and keep our foot mashed on the brake. And that this will solve the problem. Well, the reality is it might overcome the brakes for a little while, but as soon as you let off the gas pedal again, the, the car stops. Right. In other words, it's not going to create a sustainable or encourage a sustainable uh, alternative food supply chain to the oligopoly we have now. Right. And uh, by the way, we're talking with Congressman Thomas Massey. I don't understand what it is liberals seem to have against small businesses to not do this because this helps small businesses. It's like California just had to give $100 million of tax money to the marijuana industry because they've overregulated it so much that only the black market and the big guys can survive. Let me take up for, the, for some of the liberals. Yeah. This may surprise you. I've got liberals on the Prime Act. Good. They actually – they realize – and actually can articulate uh, the points that I've made to you in the context of food Mm. because what they see is that the little guys getting squashed by corporations because of overregulation. They also, they like their food just like we like our food and they want to 
decide what they get to eat. And so they know that the Prime Act is consequential to this. The alternative bill to the Prime Act is actually not supported as much by liberals as you might think. It's supported by people, <clears throat> and I'm not, I'm not going to impugn their motives. I mean, a lot of them recognize the problem. They just have a different diagnosis than I have. They want big government to solve a problem that big government created. Right. But the, but the lobbyists are jumping onto their bill. The big ag lobbyists right. are jumping onto the diversion bill which spends money and keeps the regulations in place. And right. that's because the lobbyists, frankly, are working not for the small guy, but they're working for the right. big guy. Bless your little heart. If you think the lobbyists up here are working for the little guy, right. and I, I'm going to call, I'm just going to call, I'm going to get in trouble for this. I hope nobody <laughs> listens to your podcast. You hope nobody listens to the podcast. It's downloaded thousands of times a week. Yeah. Can you, can you lose this one after I say it? <laughs> yeah. I'll just not post it. Sorry. <laughs> The, the ones working the hardest against the little farmers are the National Cattlemen's Beef Association and the Farm Bureau. Right. And that right there will will get, will get me in a lot of trouble. But I'm yeah. telling you, because there, there are hundreds of thousands of members, small farmers in Farm Bureau, who have no idea that Farm Bureau is part of the problem Wow. Uh, in this context. Wow. Um, and I've tried to work with them. Yeah. I said, look, I'll introduce a subprime act. If you think my... <laughs> It has nothing to do with finance. Right. Uh, if you think the bill goes too far or if it needs some more safeguards, tell me what it needs. Right. And and tell me how far you're willing to go to reduce regulations on small farmers. Right. And, and they just say, nope, do not want to even talk about it. Right. And then they come out with this other bill that spends gobs of money. And it's mostly it's mostly supported by Republicans who want to subsidize farming, and they think that's the solution. Yeah. The alternative. Hence, I'm talking about the Butcher Block Act, not the Prime Act. Right. Hence, and by the way, sorry, I need to say this. No, go ahead. I'm, I'm getting in so much trouble. I, there's not enough time left in your podcast for all the disclaimers <laughs> that will only moderately get me out of trouble. Right. But there are people who've sponsored both bills, who've sponsored the Butcher Block Act and the Prime Act. Right. Because they genuinely want to solve this problem. They just problem. want something to happen that will yeah. Yeah, move the And ball if you forward. did both things, you would, you know, you let off the brakes and mash the gas pedal. Right. Then, yeah, you would get even more re throttle response. Right. Okay. But uh, I don't know where the money's going to come from to mash the gas pedal. And for the people who have decided to let off the brakes and mash the, the gas pedal, I'm, my hat's off to them. Right. I just don't want more government. But if they can agree to get rid of the government that's caused the problem, right. that, that then we're I'm, we'll be all right. We're good, Congressman Thomas Massey. I want to jump back, not to not to jump around here, but this is an important issue to me, as you know. Uh, I want to go back to the Second Amendment and the thing that uh, Joe Biden said about mm -hmm. F-15s and nuclear weapons. Philosophically, from your standpoint, what should Americans be able to own when it comes to firearms? Have we had this discussion? We Just, have at some point okay, in the past, okay. but but for, for the sake I, of this conversation, since the president brought it up, let's have it again. This is a good question, and I'll get in trouble for answering it. <laughs> but but I've thought about not it. with me. I doubt. I know, but it's not just you and I talking. Like you said, there are going to be <laughs> thousands and thousands of downloads of this podcast. 
just let's just say practically put put aside the ideology of it okay if it were me i would re if, we'll we'll start here and say the ideological argument and then i'll get to the practical one which is what i think you're asking me ideologically the second amendment is clear to me it says the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed and in the beginning of this country joe biden is wrong he says that certain people couldn't own guns and there that's were not certain true. guns you couldn't they own. could own cannons he said that's not true there were no federal laws prohibiting this right okay and to the extent there were laws prohibiting it it, they were racially based. Mm-hmm. They were trying to uh, gun wanted, control. Yeah, they, the want, roots they, of, they wanted gun control to control, like, if they, they didn't want to revolt. The Native American population right. and slaves. Right. Those were those were the two groups that they first So the idea to, of gun control is actually rooted in racism. It absolutely is. Mm-hmm. And uh, which the overarching thing here is that the government has to perpetuate these institutions right it's what they've done i don't mean they should i mean for these institutions to survive they need government right okay now this may upset some some second amendment proponents uh i'm i consider myself to be the strongest second amendment proponent in in the in the u.s congress well you as, are the chair of the 2a congress or co-chair, co-chair now yeah, with, with lauren bobert and lauren bobert who's absolutely fabulous but the second amendment did not originally apply to the states it did not in fact technically it did not until mccullough uh chicago versus mccullough hmm. or mccullough versus chicago which was in the last decade it then, came after then what, then what did it mean did it just supersede the states it was only no. It was only as were all the Bill of Rights. They were only limits on the federal government. Okay, and so until the you know through the incorporation doctrine after the Fourteenth Amendment passed, they said well, the Fourteenth Amendment says you have basic civil, you have basic rights that can't okay. be denied. Right, and then through various court rulings, they've incorporated these things. All right, but that's for another show. Right. Um, Second Amendment. What should you be able to own? Okay, well, if we agree that the police, here's one pragmatic. Well, just to be clear, real quick, just to be clear so people understand, it may not have originally applied to the states, but it absolutely does now because of the 14th Amendment. Because of two, because of the 14th Amendment and then the Heller decision, which says it's a a right of the individual, not a right. But it was always intended to limit the government's ability to interfere with the the human right. The federal government's ability. Right. Right. It was never it was not these United States would not have agreed to a federal document that limited their power. Right. Right. And that's so the I mean, you can hear me now and look this up later. The Bill of Rights did not apply to the states. Right. It only applied to the federal government. Yeah. And that's why the states in each of their own constitutions have their own version of the Second Amendment. Right. Most of them do. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we're talking with Congressman Thomas Massey. Go ahead. But I want to go back to you. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. I just wanted to clarify that. So now you're talking about what we should be able to own practically. Practically. Okay. So let's let's say that you view firearms as personal protection. Okay. Not we're not talking about F-15s and nukes yet. Correct. We're not talking about keeping an overzealous government in check. I would I may say, or may not have a missile silo in my backyard. I would say that. Any firearm or weapon 
that the police are going to need when they show up to protect me. Right. I should be able to have for those long periods of time that occur before they get there. Right. (laughs) Right. You can't say, okay, if the civilian police force, okay, I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but they're not military police, okay? They are there to protect civilians. How can you say that an AR-15 only has a purpose in war if – the the police department if your local police department has ar-15s that's a great point there they are one of the most uh effective personal defense uh utensils out <laughs> Utensil. there let me just <laughs> got a fork got an <laughs> ar <laughs> so it's it's a tool. It's a tool, right? It's a tool to protect yourself. And so, um, do I need a do I need a thirty round magazine? I don't know. What do the police carry? Right. Because they, let's look to them to inform us. They're well, trained. And, and also, I don't know what does the guy attacking me carry. Correct. What is he? But <laughs> that's that's when I'll tell you what I need. I'll tell you what I need when I see what the dude attacking me at. <laughs> that's when I'll tell you what I no, need. No, I need ten times. If you Leland. If you find yourself in a fair gunfight, your tactics suck. Oh, I agree. I agree. Right. So I'm not saying need... I'm limiting myself to what he has. I'm just saying I'll right. tell you what I. I'll tell you how right. many more I when need. You when you see I know it, what he yeah. Has. <laughs> I'll tell you how many bullets I need to shoot when I see how many show up. Right. And and uh, so there's one way you, you can get to it. I don't know how. I mean, I think that logic is impenetrable. I do too. I agree. If your local, if your local police force has M16s instead of AR15s, then we need M16s. Then we need M16s. Yeah. I think okay. I, I think I might go a little farther than you here and say that if I want it, I can have it. <laughs> if I want, I can has because. Okay. <laughs> He's like, wait, wait I I'm pull, just. You're gonna no, have to pull me no, back is, a little bit here. This is one. This is one way to get at the practical. If you want to say what practically should you be allowed to have, right? But but remember, I prefaced all that with if you believe that you have a right to a gun because of your God-given right to self-defense from an intruder. Now let's go to the government. This is the more interesting argument. Do you agree? Oh, uh, yeah, 100%. What do you need to keep a government in check? Mm. Well, I do believe what I mean, I believe if you and this is I'm only going here because Joe Biden went here, okay? Right. There's no other we would not need this to have this is in direct response to the president's yes. comments. Con- we would not and by the way, just for people listening, discussion. Congressman Thomas Massey is our guest. Go ahead. We would not need to have this discussion if the president hadn't brought it up. Right. So should you be able to own a nuke? That's a question, right? People are like, well, if you believe there's no limit, then you should be allowed to have, you think you should be allowed right. to have a nuke. And Ed, actually, Joe Biden gave some credence to that argument right. for us. Well, if the government's nuking me. <laughs> but so the, the, um, this, the Second Amendment at its heart is about keeping the government in check. But if some if one person had a nuclear weapon, they could uh, terrorize correct the entire country. Right, they could hold the whole or, country right um, hostage. Hostage, yeah. Okay. So, but to, and aren't you know, we drawing keeping, a line then between ordnance and weapons? No, no that's not way. where. 
That's it's not, not where necessarily where I draw it. Okay. Let me let me get right. there. All right, cool. I'm trying to get there carefully. It, let's go back to the Revolutionary War. Uh, 50, it wasn't like 51% of the people decided to grab a firearm and said, we're going to fight the British, right? Right. You, you had, the majority of the population wanted to stay out. Yeah, it was more it. like 3% grabbed a gun and said, let's go fight the British. And, and they had support of maybe 10 or 20%. Right. Okay, whatever it was. And, and, it, and maybe 50, may, uh, maybe there were more than 50% that were like, yeah, if they win, I'll be happy with that. But it certainly wasn't a vast majority. Mm -hmm. So what would be the armament that would be required if, let's say, let's say 70% of the population knew something needed to be done and only 10% were willing to do it? Right. Okay. Well, if, if 10% of the population had AR-15s and were willing to stand up to a government that was out of control... They could absolutely keep it at, at bay. check. Right. And if they couldn't, then they probably need something a little stronger. Right. Well, and I, I feel like the thing we're dancing around here is there are also weapons that it's debatable whether our government should have them to begin with. So it's not a matter of we should be able to have everything our government has, because I think there's still a moral debate going on about whether government should have nuclear weapons at all. Let me ask this you question. Know. What what armaments would the uh, Uyghurs need in China? To stop China. Yeah. 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 Like, they wouldn't need nuclear weapons, right? Right. They wouldn't need F-15s. Right now they could we use the support of all the celebrities and politicians in America who are afraid to stand up to China. Um, just just those words could potentially stop China, but too much of them are making money off China. So, Right. You can just – we don't even – we don't even have to speculate – about what it takes to keep an oppressive government at bay. Right. Can, or it could be a righteous government. It could be the U.S. government when we've gone into Vietnam or when we've gone into uh, Afghanistan. Right. There, yeah. the, the reality is that uh, aircraft, the reality is, contrary to what Joe Biden says, you're never going to deploy nuclear weapons on your own civilization, right. on your own citizens, right. contrary to what Joe Biden and Eric <laughs> Swalwell dream about. Right. right. Or whatever. I don't know how it gets in their head that they think about these things. Yeah. Because it doesn't even happen in other countries. Yeah. Right. He doesn't understand the strategy behind what he's actually saying. At the end no. of the day. And it, it just shows the stupidity. I mean, this remember, he this starts out with a stupid premise that right. is absolutely wrong and unsupported. If, if to the extent it's supported, it's only supported by slavery and racism and and um, the genocide that went on in the beginning of this country. Right. Which is to say that all well, certain people couldn't have guns. That's right. That's right. When he says that there's that's the only thing he could be talking about. Uh -huh. And then when he says and. You couldn't have any gun you wanted. Well, show me the federal law that said that. There yeah. may have been there may have been state laws, and right. by the way, probably the the racist you know stuff was state laws as well. Right. But show us the federal law, Joe. Yeah. Well, and this is the same guy that told people to you know buy a shotgun and shoot it in the air and shoot it through the door, and that defense <laughs> has already been used in court and failed. I know you got a hard out. You've got to head out to uh, another vote. 
But uh, this has been an interesting and fun conversation, as they all are. Uh, Congressman Thomas Massey, we appreciate you popping on with us. Was there anything else you wanted to uh, mention before I let you go? Because well, I know you got to run out to the floor and vote. As, as I go to vote on this infrastructure bill, I, I'm lamenting that I didn't offer an amendment saying that F-15 landing strips <laughs> in your backyard are infrastructure. <laughs> Please, every small let community, the government build my landing strip for my F-15. Every small community needs a CDBG grant for an F-15 <laughs> landing strip. All, my, all our garages will be at that community <laughs> airport. With solar, with solar-powered landing lights. Hey, if you do that, the libs might get on board with it. So... <laughs> Watch yourself. All All right, right, Congressman Massey, good to talk to you. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, Another fun one with the congressman. Um, And I just, I love these conversations because they go in depth. I actually had somebody tell me that listens to my podcast the other day. They said, I love when Massey comes on. He goes, I don't know. I don't think I've ever, ever heard another congressman or a person in politics talk the way that guy talks. And I was like, well. Just because he's real, and we need more of that in Washington. All right, big thanks to our sponsor today, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. 6200 Hit Lane in Louisville. I I talk about Louisville Cabinets and Countertops because I've been a customer. Um, I'm pretty confident when we sold our house in Kentucky that, that, that the work that they did in our kitchen and master bathroom were part of what made it sell in a day. Um, you can call George, Kelly, Michelle, the designers on staff at Louisville Cabinets and Countertops, and they will be happy to help you put together your dream kitchen. If you're intimidated by designing that or trying to figure out what it is that you want, sometimes you just need somebody to help you along and they can do that. Or if you already know, they'll just kind of do what you tell them, right? Uh, but if you're a do-it-yourselfer or a um, contractor, they've also got cabinets that are already in stock that are affordable and beautiful. Trust me, you can check them out on the website at Louisville Cabinets and countertops.com. Uh, big appreciation to them. 502-930-3304. 502-930-3304. Also, big thanks to my lazy, good-for-nothing, almost-never-here co-producer and co-host Cameron Mills uh, for uh, being a part of the show sometimes when we can wake him up and get him out of bed. And a big thanks to you for the thousands of downloads that you give us every uh, week. We really appreciate you. So keep spreading the word with your friends. It's an Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and iHeartRadio, and it is a free subscription so you can get new episodes delivered directly to your phone. And thank you again to you for listening. You can find me on Instagram, at Leland Show, and, uh, or excuse me, at Great Lelando, and at The Disruption Zone, and on Twitter, it's at Zone Disruption and at Leland Show. Again, thanks for listening. I'm Leland Conway, The Disruption Zone.